If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Psalm 29. For our scripture reading, we will be reading that psalm in entirety. Psalm 29, starting in verse 1. The psalm of David, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to ship like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Amen. So before we get into the word of God tonight, I just want to uh, let you know that there's a a sign-up sheet as well in the foyer for our book club Uh, this winter. We'll be reading a book called Delighting in the Trinity. So it's a book to bring joy to your heart on those cold winter nights. And so if you need more joy in the Lord, I would encourage you to sign up and to read that book together with us. Uh, The book, again, is called Delighting in the Trinity. So please sign up if you'd like to read that with us this winter. Now, at some point, uh, most people ask themselves this question, what is the meaning of life? By observing the lives of some men, uh, you might conclude that the meaning of life has something to do with bacon. As in, he who dies having eaten the most bacon wins. But if you watch the uh, Lifetime Movie Network, you would see that the women that that channel appeals to have a, a different answer for the meaning of life. The meaning of life for these women is to find a soulmate who also becomes a savior. The meaning of life for these women is found in an ultimate romance. Others would say, no, the meaning of life is success. Others would say, the meaning of life is to get rich. Still others would say, the meaning of life is to get involved in politics, to make a difference in this world. And finally, others would say, the meaning of life is family. Raising children who are a blessing to me and who will be a blessing to the world. Over the past two years at Hope, we have been going through the questions and answers that are found in the New City Catechism. And this morning, I'd like to refer to an older catechism called the Westminster Shorter Catechism in order to help us to answer the question regarding the meaning of life. One question that the Westminster Catechism asks us is, what is the chief end of man? Answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The meaning of life, then, is to worship God. And you worship God by enjoying him and who he is. Someone who knows that God is the greatest good is someone who has found the meaning of life. By loving and worshiping the God who made them and who saved them, They have found meaning and joy in life. 
Psalm 29 that Pastor Travis just read is a a psalm about worship. As God's people, we are to be people of worship. But some might ask, well, why do you worship God? Why do you do that? And so let's look this morning at Psalm 29 and see some reasons why we as Christians worship God. First of all, you worship God because he is king. Psalm 29 in verse 1 reads, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. King David opens this psalm by telling the heavenly beings to ascribe something to God. The word ascribe means to give. And so David begins by telling these heavenly beings to give something to God. They are to give to God his due. They are to give it up for God in terms of their worship and their applause for who God is. Now, who are these heavenly beings in Psalm 29 and verse 1? We find an answer in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11, where the same Hebrew word that is translated with the words heavenly beings in Psalm 29 has a a different meaning in Exodus. So I'd like for us to read the words from Exodus 15 out loud together. Let's read together. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And so the words heavenly beings in Psalm 29 are translated with the word gods in Exodus 15. The heavenly beings, then, are gods. They are idols. David pictures in Psalm 29 the the idols of all the different nations that surround Israel in heaven with God. And what does David tell these false gods to do? He tells the false gods to give to God the worship that he alone should be given to acknowledge that God and God alone have glory and strength. Now, what does it mean that God has glory? Glory is a word that you see in the Bible a lot, but it's not a word that we use a lot in our typical conversation. The Hebrew word for glory literally means weight. The glory of God is the weight of all that God is, the weight of the fullness of his wisdom, his goodness, and his happiness. God is truly heavy. By contrast, the false gods of the nations around Israel were empty. They were weightless. They were a nothing. They had no real power or strength. Sure, these idols promised big things to those who worshipped them, but they couldn't deliver. Only the God of Israel, whose name is the Lord, had the weight behind him to do powerful and glorious things for his people. And so 18 times in Psalm 29, David uses the name the Lord, Yahweh, to get both the false gods and us to focus on the heaviness and the glory of God. It is as if David is saying, you gods are nothing in comparison with the Lord. 
He is the glorious one. He alone is worthy of our worship. We should give our glory to him. And when I was in high school, I was not the man of substance that you see standing before you today. No, in fact, I was practically weightless. I might have weighed 125 pounds if you gave me a concrete block to hold on to. That's when I weighed that much. So anyway, one night at our church youth group, uh, the guys got together and decided that they were going to play some touch football. I figured, in a touch football, I could probably survive. I probably wouldn't be killed playing that as compared to tackle football but I was wrong. I was supposed to be a blocker for my team. But on this one particular play, this young man who I would estimate had at least 75 pounds on me ran right into me. I should say he ran right through me because he, he sent me into orbit, <laughs> which lasted, as I recall, for several seconds before I finally came back to Earth. I have to tell you, I never forgot that collision. It reminded me of the equation that I was learning in physics class at the time. Force equals mass times acceleration. That was a lot of mass that ran right into me. I had to admit that this young man was heavy and I was nothing in comparison with him. Do you know what happens when you bring glory to God? God comes very, very close to you. He collides with you so that you feel his weight. And when you feel the weight of God coming up against you, what do you do? You do what the false gods were called on to do in verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. You worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. You say, Lord, you and you alone are glorious. You and you alone are heavy. I am nothing. And I worship you in awe and humility. We glorify God by acknowledging that he alone is the only true king. David does this in Psalm 29 in verse 4, where he says that the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. God's voice is a king's voice. And David does this as well in verse 10, where he says that the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. We glorify God then by throwing a spotlight on how great God is in comparison with everything else. We magnify the greatness of God's character not like a, a microscope magnifies by making small objects look big. That's not what we do to magnify God. We instead magnify God like a telescope does. A telescope gives us just a glimpse of how unimaginably big some things are. That is our God. He is huge. He is weighty. The false gods that we might worship today, the idols, good things like food or romance or success or money 
or politics or careers. All of those things claim to have great glory. They all claim to have glory behind them. But they are nothing in comparison with God. The one true king of all the earth. He is the only king who is glorious. He is the only king who is worthy of our worship and our lives. So you worship God because he is king. You worship God as well because he is judge. Last week, Pastor Travis preached through Psalm 28. And as you look back at Psalm 28, you see in verse 1 that David prayed to God, To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me. King David was in serious trouble when he wrote Psalm 28. And then we read David pray in verse 3 of Psalm 28. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil. So David was surrounded by wicked people when he wrote Psalm 28. And I wonder if Psalm 29 and verses 3 through 9 is a description of how God answered David's prayer from Psalm 28. How did God respond to David when he cried out to him in the midst of his trouble, when he was surrounded by wicked people? Well, Psalm 29 tells us how God responded to David's prayer for help. We see how he responded in verses 3 through 9 of Psalm 29. These verses describe a powerful thunderstorm with great ear-splitting cracks of lightning and a powerful wind. This thunderstorm begins over the waters, according to verse 3 of Psalm 29, Probably he's talking about the Mediterranean Sea, which is just to the west of Israel. And then the storm moves ashore among the tall and powerful cedar trees, according to verse 5 of Lebanon. Lebanon is in the, to the far north of Israel. And when the lightning flashes forth flames of fire in verse 7, the storm begins to move south in Israel. It begins to move into the wilderness of Kadesh, according to verse 8. And by the end of the storm, the wind and the lightning and the rain have stripped the forest bare, according to David. So I, I want you to notice two things about this particular thunderstorm. First, the storm came in response to David's prayer for help in dealing with wicked people who are trying to harm him. How does God answer our prayers? With power. With a great thunderstorm when we are in trouble. He watches over us. That's what God did. God came in all of his power as the righteous judge to defeat the wicked and to protect David. And secondly, I want you to notice what David calls this incredibly awesome thunderstorm. He calls it the voice of the Lord. In fact, six times in verses 3 through 9, David talks about the voice of the Lord and the power that it possesses. And so what we see here is that when God comes to judge the wicked, he does not speak. God's voice thunders. Boom! 
That's how God speaks when He judges the wicked. Just like God's voice sounded like thunder at Mount Sinai when He gave the law and the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, so His voice sounded like thunder when He caused the mountain of Syrian to skip like a calf in Lebanon, according to verse 6 when God laid down the law on King David's behalf. And when God thunders as judge of all the earth, what is the proper response for us? Worship. Verse 9 says that all in his temple cry one word, glory. Our God is not a nothing. He is not to be trifled with by the wicked. He is heavy, and he will thunder against all that is evil as the world's judge. When I was a child, my family and I had a wonderful dog. We had a, a golden retriever, and this is the, one of the friendliest dogs that you could possibly have. I brought a, a picture of a golden retriever this morning, and this is kind of the way our dog looked when she was a puppy, a very friendly dog. Now, that dog would play with you and love on you all day long. But I have to tell you, our golden retriever was not much of a guard dog. If an intruder came into our house, my suspicion would be that she would have tried to lick the thief to death. She would have been so happy to see him, she would have wanted to play with him. And so I, I always remember what happened to our dog in the summertime when a, a thunderstorm came up. Whenever there was a, a thunderstorm, our golden retriever would run into the corner of, a house, of our house and she would just start shaking. She would shake until the thunderstorm was over. When I saw that, I would usually think to myself, what a wimpy dog. But then a few years ago, I, I was sitting in my house upstairs in my bedroom and I was watching a thunderstorm rage outside. The rain was pouring down, lightning was crashing, and the thunder was rolling. It was the most powerful storm I had seen in quite some time, and so I enjoyed watching it. But as I continued to watch the storm, suddenly, about 10 to 15 feet outside my window, I saw the end of a lightning strike crack into a bright orange fireball. The lightning strike was so close to my window that I could smell the smoke outside of my window. The lightning strike was so loud that it was deafening and it really did shake the house. Now, my response to that lightning strike was immediately. I, I got up from my bed and I walked as far away as I could from that window. I wanted to get into the center of the house. If my golden retriever were still alive at that moment, she probably would have given me a look that said, who's the wimp now? But that lightning and that thunderstorm produced within me a mix, mixture of fearful amazement and fascinated wonder. I was fascinated by the lightning. I wanted to see it. I wanted to watch it. But at the same time, I was terrified. I want to get away from that lightning as far as I could. Lightning was nothing to be fooled around with. It is uncontrollable power 
with the ability to destroy. My response to the lightning that day is the way that we should respond to God, our judge. We should be both fearful and fascinated by God's power as judge. When we see God judge in response to our prayers, like God judged in response to David's prayers, we should say, glory. We should worship the power of God. Now, some people today don't like the thought that God is judge. But God has always been judge. In fact, if God were not judge, he would not be good. How could God be good if he looked the other way when evil was committed? And so verse 10 is a reminder of God's power as judge, where David writes, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. When did God send a flood? In Noah's day. He sent that flood to judge the earth's people in response to their rebellion against God. And God sent a storm in David's day to judge the wicked who were seeking to harm David without cause. And one day in the future, all of us will stand before God the judge. And that day of judgment will be a day both of fear and fascination. It will be a day when one word will come from everybody's lips. Glory. God will be worshipped as our holy and righteous judge. Finally, you worship God because he is Savior. When we are in danger from wicked people, we worship God as judge who comes to help us. And so in the last verse of Psalm 29, David speaks to our need for a judge who will also be our Savior. He writes, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. David had peace after God the judge saved him from his enemies. But the reality is that all of us are sinners. And so there will be times in our lives when we will need God to judge the sins of others who are seeking to harm us. But there will also be times when we will need to be saved from God's judgment because of our own sins. David, for example, the author of both Psalm 28 and Psalm 29, was a man of great sin. He had committed adultery. He had committed murder at one time in his life. And so the thought that God is judge must have terrified David after his sin. He needed God to save him at that time from the judgment of God that he deserved. And David would have peace with God, even after his sin. So what is available to us as God's people with faith? What is available to us even though we have sinned? Peace. We can have peace with God in spite of our sin because God has provided a way for us to be forgiven. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He took the judgment that we deserved. Therefore, we can have peace with God. 
Yes, God does judge our sin. He does send a flood of judgment. But if we have faith in God, he also sends a rainbow after the flood as a sign that judgment is finished. The judgment that we deserved has been poured out on Christ at the cross. And now we have peace with God. What a great Savior Jesus is. He is worthy of our worship as our awesome Savior. Jesus' disciple Peter once had an awe-inspiring experience with Jesus that knocked Peter to his knees one day. After a long and unsuccessful night of fishing, Peter was told by Jesus to go back out on the water and to try again to get some fish. I'm sure that Peter was probably thinking at that moment, look, Jesus, you're a really good teacher and everything, but I'm the fisherman in this relationship. I know what to do to get fish. I've been out there all night, and there are no fish to be caught. But because of Peter's love for Jesus, Peter said, okay, if you want me to go back out, I'll go back out, even though I know it's pointless. And so Peter gets back in his boat. And what happens as soon as he gets into the deep water? Suddenly, Peter's nets are overflowing with fish. His boat was so full of fish that it was in danger of sinking. And how did Peter respond to this display of the glory of Jesus, our King, King over all of nature? I'd like for us to read together from Luke chapter 5 and verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, at this moment in their relationship, Peter was probably not yet aware that Jesus is God. But he was clearly in awe of the power of God that he saw in Jesus. And when we see God as he is, when we see his power and his holiness, the proper response is to get on our knees and worship. We admit just how far we are from God's holiness. And we tell God we don't deserve his grace and his love and his peace and his salvation. And we are in awe that we, sinners like us, can have peace with God, even though we know just how sinful we are. We worship God for being a great Savior. I'd like to close our discussion of worship today by having you look on the back of our bulletin this morning. Under the goals that we have as a church for 2020, goal number two says that we want to be growing in worship by hiring a new worship director by the end of 2020. So let me tell you, first of all, what this goal is not saying. This goal is not saying that we want to get rid of Pastor Travis, okay? Some people perhaps have been asking that question after seeing that goal. Is that what this is about? No, 
okay? We're not trying to get rid of Travis. Travis does an excellent job of leading us in worship and song each Sunday. But our desire is to find someone who would be our worship director to be able to release Travis to do other things. One of the things that, we want, that Travis wants to do and that we want to see him do as a church is to get us more involved in community outreach because the goal of our church is to make more worshipers of Jesus. It's sad when people don't worship Jesus. And so we want people from our community to come to worship Christ. And we believe that Travis has gifts that he can use to lead us in more community outreach. Travis then is not planning on leaving us. He is planning on helping us to spread the message of Jesus in our community. And so I ask you today, will you pray that God helps us to reach this goal of hiring a worship director by the end of the year? Will you pray for that as a church? My hope is that you will. I, pray, I would also encourage you to pray that God raises up the finances that we need as a church so that we can hire this worship director to help us to make more worshipers of Jesus. Church, the meaning of life is bound up with the worship of our great God. That's what life is about. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is what we were put on this earth to do. The Psalms that we read today were used by God's people in David's day to help them to worship God. All of the Psalms were prayers. And all of the psalms were songs. So as we sing and as we pray, our hearts and our minds get focused on the greatness of our God. We worship through those songs and prayers. That is why we as a church want to hire a new worship director to help us to do that. But we don't have to wait until we hire a new worship director to worship God. We can do that right now. We can do that seven days a week. We have the joy of worshiping God all the time. We can worship Jesus because He is our King. He is our Judge. And He is our Savior. How awesome Jesus is. Let's worship Him then with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, and with all of our strength. Let's pray together. Jesus, what a great God you are. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship for all that you are and for all that you have done for us. I pray that you would help us in the midst of busy lives to keep our focus upon you. Help us not to lose sight of you. Help us not to think that other gods and other idols are, are worthy of the same worship that you are worthy. For you alone are God. You alone are King. You alone are our Savior and our Judge. Amen.